You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Good morning, LifePoint Church. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. I used to be the pastor of Nathan and Christy back in the day. I've known Christy since junior high school, and um, I've known Nathan since Christy started dating her. Before that, she did come into my office one day, and uh, she said, Mark, there's somebody, she didn't say creeping me out, but there's this guy very interested in me, and I'm not interested in him at all, and I don't know what to do, you know. I've tried to tell him no, and he won't back off, and so I said, well, I'll take care of it, Christy. And uh, I made an appointment with this guy, he came into my office, and I said, buddy, you have got great taste in women. You really do. I have to admire it. Christy is an awesome woman, but she's not for you. Uh, and he's like, why, why? And I'm, because she says so. And when she says so, that does it as far as I'm concerned. Take my word for it, man. And I gave him one of my little uh, stern talks. And uh, sure enough, a couple years later, he, was, he, he accepted a couple years later uh, when Nathan was in the church and I saw them get together. I'm like, Christy, what do you see in this guy for crying out loud? But uh, Nathan and I became good friends. We used to compete together, play golf together. He can hit the ball a mile if you ever play golf with Nathan. Not always straight, but that, that helps if you're playing against him. Um, but there was, we had a tragedy in our church where a young man who had grown up in our church for 20 years was gone to the Marine Corps and led a bunch of people to Christ. He was fixing a car in his driveway and it fell off the jacks and it crushed him. And it was, it was a heartbreaking episode for the family and for our whole church family. And um, they wanted the person most close to them and to their son to do the funeral, and they chose Nathan. And we had over a 1,000 people show up, and it was an awesome, difficult, challenging, grievous and wonderful service all wrapped into one. And what I saw in that time was that sometimes God uses the most difficult circumstances, the most painful episodes in life to bring blessings that you would never expect. And soon after that, we had Nathan preaching for us. And, and after a couple of years of that, he became the pastor here at LifePoint. And I think you guys are the beneficiaries, partly of a young man who laid down his life for Christ, and partly of Nathan and Christy who laid down their lives for Christ. When we put ourselves in God's hands, we don't know what he's going to do with us. All we know is we can trust him. Fruit will come from your life if you trust him. Now, I've been asked to speak on 1 Corinthians 5 and 6, and that's what I'm going to do. And one of the things I love about going to church, I, I, I am an athlete, and I love competition. I love following sports. Um, but this football season has really not been encouraging to me at all. The, the baseball season did not end encouraging. I'm not looking forward to the Suns season this coming year, but I do look forward to coming into the house of God. 
And the title of this message is Wisdom for Four Big Challenges in the Church. And I'm going to start with Proverbs 24, and then I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. It says this, By wisdom a house is built, through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. The wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Let's pray. Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you'd give me words to say that will be effective today, that your Holy Spirit will make your word come alive. Lord, give us the wisdom we need for the challenges of life in Jesus' name. So here in Proverbs, it says, by wisdom, a house is built. If you, if you want to build your own family, if you want to build your sphere of influence, you want it, the rooms filled with treasures, that there's wisdom, there's knowledge, there's understanding that are going to benefit you. We collectively are building the church of God. And the advantage of the church of God is that it allows us as individuals to do something that no individual could do. It allows us to become spiritual parents that give birth to babies who can grow up and become sons and daughters of God. We're, now, we could lead somebody in a sinner's prayer. We could encourage a believer, but only together can we produce the dynamic, which is lives knit together, filled with the Holy Spirit that allows people to grow into maturity in Christ and to receive their vision for the mission for which God has created them. So this is wisdom we're going to get into today from 1 Corinthians 5 and 6 that deal with some really significant issues. I find as a pastor that I refer back to these verses often. The first aspect of wisdom, and we're going to look at four, spending most time on the first one, is wisdom about judgment. One of the big misconceptions many people have, they'll quote Matthew 7, 1, in which Jesus says, judge not, lest you be judged, and they think that that's the final word on judgment. In reality, in 1 Corinthians alone, let alone the rest of the New Testament, it talks about judgment all the time. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, a spiritual man judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it talks about all of our works being judged as we go through the fire on the day of judgment. And if we have built on with wood, hay, and straw, which simply means if all we've given is a bunch of platitudes that don't endure the, the test of truth that is eternal, then it, it, everything we've done is wiped out. But if we build with gold and silver, and precious stones, meaning if the truth that we speak works in the real world and helps people in a practical way because it's rooted and grounded in the reality that Christ proclaimed, then we'll have a reward. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it says, if we judge ourselves, then we won't be judged. And when we judge ourselves, as we do when we take communion, we oftentimes confess our sins. We oftentimes acknowledge our mistakes. Okay, now let's get into 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported, verse 1 says, that there's sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even pagans 
do not tolerate. Sorry for those little explosions. Um, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. In other words, this guy is involved in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. And Paul's saying, hey, wait, this does not cut it. This does not cut it in the church of God. And you're proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who's been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who's been doing this. So Paul has passed judgment. On what basis? Not on the basis of skin color, hair color, uh, wealth, or education. He's passed judgment on the basis of the eternal word of God. See the difference? Jesus is saying, don't be judging people about the, the, the minor flaws in their personality or that, that kind of thing. But all of us are called to base our lives on the word of God and to warn those people who are in defiance of the word of God, which is why Paul is calling this into light. In verse 4, so when you're assembled and I'm with you in the spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. What does this mean? means that the church provides a protection for people. It's a, it's a healthy place to grow up. But if somebody is refusing to turn from immoral behavior, if somebody is using the church as a place to find a, a someone else for illicit activity, whether that be swindling, whether that be partying in an unhealthy way, or whether that be some kind of sexual deviance, then the church is to take action if the person doesn't repent and remove the person, turn them over to Satan, which basically means they no longer get the protection of the body of Christ. They can deal with the world and the consequences of the world, the flesh, and the devil apart from us. Verse 6, he says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough? In other words, this will affect everybody if you don't deal with it. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The Passover lamb was an offering made by the people of Israel in Egypt. They put the... They, killed the lamb, put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and on both sides of the door, forming like a cross. And the angel passed over that and spared all the people. The next day they were delivered into the wilderness and on their way to the promised land. Christ is our Passover lamb. He's the one who shed his blood on the cross so that all of us can be freed from spiritual bondage and slavery, set free to fulfill the purpose of God for our lives. He's the Passover lamb. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the implication is this. We've been set free as a gift by God from our sin. When we have to deal with somebody who is refusing to repent from their sin, 
We're to call them out, but not with malice, not with hatred, not despising the person. Because God loves that person, and we should too. We had to remove our worship leader years ago at Living Streams, and it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking because we loved him. It was heartbreaking because he was our friend and our brother, but his behavior had crossed the line, and he could no longer be in that position of being a worship leader. And, and we did everything we could to uh, get him restored a year later, but Unfortunately, after we got him restored, there was another issue that came to light, and we had to have him step down again, and it was a very unpleasant process for us. But here's why we had to go through that process. The church is not my house or your house as an individual. It is our house, and it's called the household of God. It's the family of God. We're not a club. We don't make up our own rules. It's, a, it's the family of God inherited by the Lord himself, uh, given to us by the Lord himself as an inheritance and inhabited by Jesus. And he establishes the criteria for his family. So here he explains it in a little more detail, starting in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. In other words, at your office or at your school or in your neighborhood, you're going to have greedy people, immoral people. You're going to maybe even have some swindlers. You can't stay away from everybody. He's not talking about the world that we live in, in as a whole, but this is what he says. But, verse 11, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or slander or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. When we first established Living Streams, um, we literally went door to door. We invited whosoever will may come. We, we, I started doing a radio show. We'd go to the parks because... We were looking for people to start this new church. And so one of the doctors in our church started inviting people that he worked with, um, that were his patients. And soon in our little living room, the church began to grow and it filled up the living room and I'm getting to know these different people. And there was a, a guy and a gal that I thought were married and I start talking to them, I find out they're not married. Now, if they're non-believers and they're not married and they're living together... That's one thing. I mean, that's how the world's operating these days. But these two both knew better. They were both Christians. They had been Christians for quite some time, but they had decided just to move in together and start living together because that was more convenient and they wanted to see if they were compatible. And, and I had to say, wait, wait a minute, time out. That's called immorality. It's called fornication. You're, you're having a sexual relationship with somebody you're not married to. That's not something that we can abide by because not because 
I'm so much better. I did that kind of thing when I wasn't following Jesus myself. And I experienced the consequences of it, the heartbreak of it, the anguish of it, the guilt of it, the shame of it. I had to recover from that through the forgiveness of sins and the restoration of my soul. And it takes some time. And we're living in a society that's fractured and with fractured, wounded, heartbroken people. It's not just venereal diseases. It's the disease of the soul that afflicts people that have participated in these things. And so I had to say, if you want to be part of this fellowship, and it's not just me saying this. This is what our leadership is going to say. This is how we're establishing the foundation of this church. And you're a believer, then you have a choice to make. Now, if you're a non-believer, you can come and welcome and hear the word and, and come back many, many times. We, we don't say to somebody, oh, you, you did this once and you're gone, with believer or non-believer. This isn't a one-time thing. This is an established pattern of behavior. That's what the apostle's talking about, an established pattern of behavior. And one of the things he lists there is swindlers. You know what a swindler does? They scam people out of their money. Now, I wish I could tell you I had no experience with swindlers. But the larger a church gets, the more people come for all kinds of different reasons. And we had a guy that we found out um, when people from another church contacted us, he had swindled them out of over $100,000. So we confront him, and we had to investigate it, and we have this big talk. And we said that we do not want you doing this kind of business where you give people promises of these massive returns on their investment, and those returns are never forthcoming. Stop doing that, and don't do it with anybody in our church. And uh, sure enough, within a little while, he had scammed another guy and his family out of $25,000 in our church. And at that point, we said, that's it, man. You are." And it wasn't just me, but it was our whole leadership had to say, you're not welcome to be in this house because our job is to be a shepherd and this is the flock of God and it's supposed to be a safe place and it's supposed to be a holy place and it is gonna be a holy place and we're not gonna tolerate that. If we were to tolerate that, we would not be loving the flock at all. We would just be opening the doors to whosoever will wants to take advantage of somebody, whether it's financially or sexually or, or in whatever way manipulate people. So Paul said, no, no, we're not going for that. What, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 5, 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So it's inside the church that these truths have to be applied. God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. We had a handicapped girl in our church who had, uh, had many physiological problems all of her life, and she was being supported by a trust fund. We had another guy in the church who didn't have a job. He had been married, divorced, didn't have a job, started hanging out with this handicapped girl. Next thing I know, he's moved in with her, and she's bought him a brand new car. And we're like, time out, time out. This does not look good. You know what I mean? If you two want to get married, we'll talk about marriage. But we're not going to allow you to take advantage of this girl and her money. Um, 
And again, it's not just me. I don't have the authority to kick anybody out of a church or whatever, but I do have a responsibility. So does Nathan, so do the elders, and so do we as a body. We have a responsibility to watch over the flock, to guard the widows, to guard the people who are vulnerable especially, to make sure the children's ministry is completely safe as much as we can. Um, We had a, a guy who said, that he didn't want to be fingerprinted for our children's ministry. And, and he says, it's a matter of principle that the, the, the government shouldn't be telling us to do this. And, and we said, the government's not telling us to do this. We're saying this is what we want to do. Because we have people come to our church from all over the country. And this guy puts on a big fight. And, and it was a sort of a tug of war, and our leadership discussed it. Well, you know, maybe he's got a point. That, no, no, we think we should maintain the standard. Well, Sure enough, it turns out the guy is a ripoff artist from the East Coast. And when we did a background, a more thorough background investigation, he was a really bad news guy. And it's like, thank God we had the fingerprint policy in place. Because who knows what would have happened if we didn't. You know what I mean? We are vulnerable because we're loving and because we're reaching out to all kinds of people. And, and people come and they're flawed and they've got problems and they've got challenges and we want to welcome them because we've all been flawed we've all had challenges and we've all been in sin but what we don't welcome is people who have an unrepentant attitude about the things that the word of God speaks to very clearly if we were to welcome that then we'd no longer be a church we'd be just a a place setting people up for trouble so um 1 Corinthians 6, we'll deal with these others quicker. Wisdom about disputes between believers. Verse 1, if any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you're to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers. There's a church down the street from Living Streams pastored by a dear friend of mine and they have a big ministry with thousands of people and when they took over their building there, it was literally given to them. Uh, They accepted a guy on staff and um, the guy wasn't working full time, he was working part time and he had sort of a buyout agreement. The church went through a very difficult period of finances and they were talking to the guy about um, adjusting his Uh, retirement package or whatever, and the first thing the guy says, he throws a complete fit and says, I'm going to sue you guys if you uh, do this to me. And when the pastor was telling me this story, I thought, well, that reveals where this man's really at. Where he's really at is it's about him, himself, and his means to pursuing what he considers justice is not according to the word of God. The word of God says, if you have a grievance, take it to those in the church who've got wisdom, who've got understanding, and process that with them. Don't go to the courts 
first and foremost, that's not a remedy that brings glory to God. There are people in the church who can handle that kind of thing. And if you think that the one local church doesn't have it, then gather some wise people from a group of local churches. Um, he, he says this in verse 7 along those lines. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. So basically what he's saying is um, you guys shouldn't be caring so much about just yourself you got to consider the, the reputation of the body of Christ. It, he also says here, we're going to judge the angels someday. We are going to have the responsibility to determine if the angels did their jobs well. The angels who are sent to be ministering to us. Now, I don't know how all that's going to work out, but... It says that basically we're being prepared to rule and reign with Christ forever. Third aspect that we receive wisdom about is the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So occasionally we get emails and the emails will say something like this. Are you an affirming church? Or what do you believe about same-sex marriage? Or something along those lines. And my response is always, yeah, we affirm every good behavior, but we cannot affirm any behavior that the Word of God says is detrimental to us. Because the issue ultimately isn't what do I believe versus what you believe. The real issue is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the presence of God on earth today. It's what Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is not far away. He said the kingdom of God is at hand. It's close. The presence and the power of God was brought to earth when Jesus came. He has now placed his spirit upon the body of Christ. What we want is not just to be a gathering of people that keep rules. That, that's not what the church is. The church is the household of God that he inhabits with his spirit. It's his very presence and power. And the question then is, do I as an individual and do we as a people want to experience the presence and power of the living God? Because if we do, we're going to do it on his terms, not ours. It's not our criteria, it's his. And he said, I am holy, therefore you be holy. Now, I didn't get it, come out of the womb holy. I came out greedy, selfish, a manipulator, as my mom used to call me. Um, and she'd spank me with sometimes a hairbrush and break the hairbrush. Fortunately, it was cheap plastic. But 
I, I did not come into life with Christ easily. I came kicking and screaming. I was afraid he was going to make me something I didn't want to be. But what I saw when I was 20 years old was a group of people who were alive in the Spirit. And even though the message sounded narrow, I wanted that life in the Spirit. I wanted that joy in the midst of a fallen world. I wanted that peace in a place of uncertainty. And so I began to read the Word of God for the first time in my life, and I couldn't understand why did he say this about men and this about women and this about this behavior and this about... And, and finally I discovered it's simply because he wants us to experience his power. So he tells us to repent. He tells us to confess our sins. He tells us that it's the blood of Jesus that will wash us and free us and renew us so that his spirit can rest upon us. And even though we don't deserve it, we get this incredible kingdom. So when people inquire from me, what do you believe about such and such? And they're looking to basically form their own opinions about a church based on their own idea of what's right and wrong. I like, I'm trying to tell them, hold on, hold on. It's not about me and you disputing the different sociological dynamics in our society. It's about, do you want the presence of God? Do you want to enter his kingdom? Because he's really clear about what that's going to take for all of us. We're all vulnerable to certain sins. We're all weak in certain ways. But all of us can experience through grace the power to live the life that he wants us to live. All of us can be transformed. We don't say to somebody, oh, I'm sorry that you're an alcoholic. That's the way God made you. He loves you just the way you are. We say, no, you have this vulnerability, but God can give you the grace to live without taking that kind of poison into your system. And his kingdom is more valuable than alcohol. It's more valuable than sex. It's more valuable than anything on the earth. Everything on the earth was given to us as a gift. It all has a purpose, but you can't find your purpose in the gifts that have been given. You find your purpose in the God who is the giver of the gifts. Okay, a um, few more verses here. It says, verse 11, that's what some of you were. What does that mean? It means some of us were greedy, thieves, swindlers, drunkards, homosexual, immoral, that's what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We get washed in the name of Jesus. We get cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We get empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the grace of God. I have a right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. As soon as this service is over, you have a right to go down to Burger King or McDonald's. You could get 10 hamburgers and eat them all. You have a right to do it, but it's not very beneficial, right? Maybe the first two are beneficial, but after that, it's not so beneficial. He's saying, listen, there's a lot of things in this world you have a right to do. It's legal to do it. It doesn't mean it's going to be helpful. Okay, our final Point, wisdom about sexual relationships. Some of you said, haven't you said enough about that already? Verse 13. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. We are made for the Lord. We've been created in his image. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. By his power. You know, if you're trying to get something out of sex or out of food or out of alcohol that God didn't intend, then you're missing the big picture. We've been created for the resurrection. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. Basically, what he's saying is, even a one-off, one-night stand with a prostitute joins two as one. It doesn't matter if your heart's not in it. It doesn't matter if, you, if it's a financial transaction. Sex is a very powerful bonding experience that you never forget. It can either build you up in a marriage or it can diminish you if you're bonded to people and then torn apart and bonded to somebody else and torn apart again. Some of us have experienced that diminishing and we don't want it. It leaves people empty, fragmented, vulnerable. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And when we're united with Christ and one with him in spirit, there's a grace, there's an energy, there's a blessing. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is a powerful verse. All other sins, people say, oh, all sins the same. No, not exactly. That's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture says that all sin is breaking the law of God and that has consequences. But not all sins are the same. Sexual sins, you sin against your own body. Other sins are outside the body. I've been asked to do two major chapels. I've done more than two all in my life, but two major. One was for the Cardinals a number of years ago, and they were playing the Dallas Cowboys, and uh, I met with the team, all the believers that wanted to gather before the game, and I gave them a message, and, and they went out and beat the Cowboys and made the playoffs, and I was sure that they would have recognized the real reason for their victory, but they never invited me back. So the next time I was called several years later to do uh, it was an ASU game, and the opposing team knew, the coach knew me from California, and even though ASU is one of my favorite teams, I don't even like to say Sun Devils, but it's what they are was what they are, but I, I, I wanted to do a good job uh, for the opposing team anyway, but knowing that I'd probably never get invited back, you know what I talked to him about? This very verse. I said, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. And I said, listen, you guys, you work out all the time. You, you, you run, you lift weights, you eat good food, you, you do wind sprints, you do power lifts, you do everything to prepare your body so you can be the best football player you can be. Do not then go out and sin against your own body with immorality. You'll regret it if you do because it tears you down. You know, that, that we know that, that AIDS is basically a virus that is activated through um, uh, activities. And, and what it does is it breaks down the body's immune system. 
And even though they don't explain this scientifically, I think that's what happens. When you're joined with somebody, you're joined with them physically, but you're also joined with what's ever in their soul, what's in their emotion, and it affects your immune system, either positively in a good marriage or negatively. Okay, two last verses. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The price paid for us is the blood of Jesus. He gave up his life. He gave up his right to have a family, to travel the world for us so that we could become his family, so that we could have his spirit, have his life in us, so we could know the kingdom of God, the presence of a loving, faithful father, so we could be forgiven for our foolishness, so we could be transformed. We were bought with a price. And he says, honor God with your bodies. That means that with whatever strength we have, with whatever gifts we have, with whatever grace we have, we want to honor God because he is the one who gives life to the world. He is the one who blesses the world. And we want people to know that. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for this day that you've made. I thank you for this church, Life Point Church. I pray, Lord, that this Life Point will be established, that it will grow, that it will flourish for generations to come. I ask, Lord God, that the people here building their lives on your word would have a sense of eternal life that together they'll raise up many missionaries, many young people who will serve you as doctors and lawyers, as businessmen, as fathers and husbands and housewives, that the, the men and women of this church will be able to prophesy and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. This will be a life-giving place for generations. Let your kingdom come. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, you said if we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. So help us, Lord, to recognize the areas in which we fall short so that we can receive the washing, the blessing, and the cleansing that you have for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to go before the Lord now in communion. I invite the ushers forward to remove the cloths. Communion is our reminder of who Jesus Christ is, that it was his body and his blood that bought the forgiveness, that paid the price that sin laid upon us. And so when we participate of communion here at Life Point, we don't take it lightly. It's something that Paul says we should, each man or woman should examine their heart before they partake of it. Where am I at with you, Lord? Where am I at with the things that you have called from me and called out of me? And so as we take of the bread, which Christ said to his disciples was his body, we ask ourselves that question, where am I at? And then 
dip it in the juice and as Christ passed that cup, he told them, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When I take a communion and I think of that, I say, Lord, where is my heart? Where, where do I have blind spots in my own life to sin that I, I am just blind to? And so let's pray and bless this communion now. And then you can get up and we have three stations up front and three in the back. Go to the one closest to you. And let's just spend some time with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you never gave up on us. Through your people, the Israelites, you pursued after us as, a, as, as mankind, as, as the one made in your image, the one whose thumbprint is upon us. And so we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and the cross and the resurrection. As we partake of this communion now, we pray you would bless it. The juice and the bread. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, let's get up now and partake of it and just have a moment of reflection and quiet.